Pirulau. Watch your back, watch your back. A chance is gonna get you. Watch your back, watch your back. A chance is gonna get you. Watch your back. Watch your back. Oh, there's a chance is gonna get you. Watch your back. It's a coming from the utility. Gotta watch those red. Hello there, everybody. Hello, We're... Douglas. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good, yes. Good, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rain's back here it's in nice. the Basque Country. It's it's finally cold. Yeah, it is cold. I had to bust out the scarf tonight. Yeah. Me and the old ladies of Bilbao, we like the cold. Yeah, we I like... do like me some summer, but... Green mountains. I do like green mountains. Cozy so. indoors. Time for red True. wine. Time for red wine. That's right. That's, That's when it tastes best, doesn't it? Today we're having Ramon de Bilbao. Yeah. Uh, a red wine. Mm-hmm. It's quite well known. Mm-hmm. Oops. Sorry there. It's very nice. Yeah, and um, it's from Rioja region. We weren't sure if it was Basque Country or Spain because the region of the wine uh, covers both uh, both nations. Mm-hmm. And in this case, even though it's called Ramon de Bilbao and Bilbao is where we are, mm-hmm. it's actually in the Spanish part. And it's got a connection to the Basque Country, which was something we were going to mention again, right? Oh, Our... yeah. This podcast. Yeah. It's about crimes. Yeah, so we are just discussing crimes that have to do with the Basque country or Basque people, Mm -hmm. and it could be the whole um, diaspora. Indeed, any tenuous connection. Any tenuous connection works for us. Mm. Last names that have Basque, you know, Basque names could take place in far-reaching lands around the world. Yeah. So today you've prepared a story, I believe. I have. Yes, I have. Um, Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is a pretty sad one. Oh. So this one is, I, I titled it, The Tragedy at the School in Ortuella. Oh, man. Children. We're yeah. not getting worse. We're not getting better. Poor, no. poor kids. I, I hope it so, was an accident. You know, this week I, I tried. I like, I wanted to get away from murder, you know, because okay. it can be pretty tedious to hear about all the time. But don't worry, Douglas. This story I'm about to tell you is no less tragic and horrific. Okay. So. I would even um, I would even assert that this event was harder for those involved, considering there was no one person they could blame oh. um, for the grief and the disbelief that something so horrible could befall a community. Oh, yeah, this is looking deep and profound. Yeah. So as a warning, so a warning to our listeners, this story involves the death of children and some listeners may find this to be too disturbing. So be mindful of this going forward. Or skip it if that's something that you find too disturbing. Indeed, it's a, it's a, it's a very sensitive topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to recount the story, like I said, of the tragedy at the Marcelino Ugalde School in Ortuella. Okay. I'd like to thank my friend Anna for making this story suggestion. You know, Anna of Anna and Ander. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> so shout out to Anna and Ander if you're hey, listening Anna. right now. Thank you for and the thanks story. thanks for the suggestion, yeah. If I'm too traumatized, I know who to who blame. to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and another note that I'd like to make is that if I go off track a few times in this story to give our listeners um, 
some insight into the workings and history of some of the elements in the story, um, just mm-hmm. stick with me. Okay. Cause okay. I did go down a lot of, uh, I did go down a lot of rabbit holes. holes. Yeah. Sounds fun. Okay. So here's a little history on Ortuella. Mm. Ortuella is a town and municipality located here in Biscaya. It now makes up part of Greater Bilbao. I just looked it up to check exactly where yeah, it was. You had to get yourself oriented. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's towards the Greater, uh, the super port or of the Bilbao. the estuary. Yep. Mm-hmm. But just kind of inland a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right along the hills. Yeah. It sounds idyllic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is now part of Greater Bilbao, but until the beginning of the 19th century, it was integrated into the Valley of Somorostro Mm -hmm. and part of the municipality of Santurce, which is where the big port is. Yeah. So it was part of the municipality of Santurce, and in fact, it was previously called Santurce Ortoya. Oh, interesting. So as you may recall, we spoke of the Somorostro mines in our episode about Juan Diaz de Garayo. The uh, Sacamantecas. It's true, yeah. The when boogeyman he... of Vitoria um, Gastes. Gastes. Yeah, yeah, he went there to work. Uh, he barely stayed there, right? He yeah, was... he wasn't there very long, but he, he did to... go there to work. Yeah. And actually, I wanted to um, give a shout out to Tom, who had recommended that story to me. Oh, I have okay. to remember to mm-hmm. thank people yeah. who yes. have suggested different stories. Belated. Thank you, Tom. So, yeah, thanks, Tom. We know you're out there listening. Tom's also our... Um, producer engineer of the Music. our little song yeah, yeah. so we're, yeah so yeah hey tom you'll, you'll recognize his name from the, the, the thank yous yeah, yeah exactly so that is tom so yeah like i said uh, in that story about garayo he skipped town to lie low after um he paid that woman off that he had attacked mm-hmm. um and so he went there to work in the mines and the towns in this area have a very long history of mining yeah so it was at the height of the mining boom in the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century when the population of Ortuella significantly increased and then the two municipalities separated and became simply Santurce and Ortuella. Mm. The population of Ortuella at the time of this incident was around 9,000 people. Okay. Today it's around 7,500. Okay. So it's not a big community, but it's not small Yeah. either. I mean, it's a small town. What, what sort of year are we talking about when so this happened? This happened in 1980. 80. Ooh, yeah. Some time ago. Yeah. Modern times, but quite some time ago. 40 years ago. Mm. So I'm sure it had at the time and still has today, like a small town feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Santurce, but I've never been to Ortoya. Have you ever been? It doesn't ring a bell. I'm wondering if it's where my w- one of my ex's uh, brothers live. And it's down that way. And I'm, I'm afraid I don't remember exactly where. Mm. But yeah, the, the area has definitely got that big mountain that kind of overshadows you, which has mm-hmm. always been an um, iron ore um, source mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's even a, an attraction because of the sh- weird shapes of leftover rocks around. And it's, it's a cool looking area. Mm. It's fun. But yeah, very, very hardworking. Maybe one day we'll all... All the crew, our three-person team, go out there for a little field trip. It sounds fun. Yeah, we're we're planning some field trips. We're gonna. Yeah, we have. We yeah, we gotta go see these places we talk about. Instagrams and something like that. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so here's where I'll put in my one-sentence synopsis. Okay, 
Small town suffers huge loss in the wake of an avoidable tragedy that can only be blamed on penny pinching. Ooh. Yeah. Mm, health and safety crime, yeah. huh? Yeah. <clears throat> on October 23rd, 1980, the public school Marcelino Ugalde served the community of Ortoya. On this day, 870 students were attending class in the three-story building. In addition, there were, of course, the teachers of all these students and other staff that make up the running of the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the school is located between two neighborhoods, uh, Ganguren mm-hmm. and Mendialde. Mm-hmm. We know Mendi means mountain. It is. And Alde, I think you told me, means place? It's kind of side, like next to the oh, mountain. Oh, side. Or the side, side of the mountain. Of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Well done. That. See, I'm, I'm trying to learn my Husqueda. Doing great. Okay, so these neighborhoods were populated primarily with working class folk, uh, many of which were from other parts of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pop- when the population exploded during the expansion of the iron mining around the turn of the 20th century, um, that's what, you know, there was a huge influx of people from yes. all over the rest of the country and you know, parts of the Basque country yeah. to work. It's interesting just when you're, when you're saying that, you know, it's, it's a well-known fact when you live in Bilbao that the left, we, we call it the left side of the river, mm-hmm. that, that side, if you look at it from the point of the river flowing down, you know, it's, it's the left side and that's known as the very working class side. And it's funny, I never related mm, it to the fact that true. that's where the mines were. That's right. why they all went to the left-hand that's side. That's very true. It was because the mines were there. Yeah, the other side's all the posh neighborhoods, like mm-hmm. in Getcho. Yeah, the owners of the mines. <laughs> 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 Anyways, mm-hmm. okay, we know who we're talking about. Yeah. So at this at its peak, um, right around the end of the 19th century, this area was producing more than five million tons of phosphorus-free iron ore. The majority of which was shipped to Great Britain, mm-hmm. where it was used in steel manufacturing during the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, and that's that's a very um, um, kind of very important part of Bilbao's uh, development in the sense that not only did they have this export, but they also because the ships were empty when they got to the UK, they would come back with coal, which is how they started smelting iron here in the Basque Country, and that's mm. how they actually industrialized was both selling the iron ore and then bringing back the coal from the UK and smelting and eventually shipbuilding here as well. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's all kind of in the history. Yeah. So there, that's the little history of the town. Nice. Kind of give you a background. We're situated. Yeah. So one side of the school building sat up against the hillside and the surrounding fields. As the name of the neighborhood says. Mendy Ali, yes. <laughs> Cute. Um, and it was kind of uphill from the town. Hmm. Um, the other side of the school was facing the very neighborhoods that it served, right? Okay. So it's pretty classic Basque school, you okay. know, like in these smaller towns, right? There's always like the school kind of at the top of the hill mm-hmm. and there's like fields and stuff behind it. But yeah. then there's all the neighborhoods around it. That Yeah, they'll choose a, a cheaper piece of land on the outskirts yeah, and it's, to build a big enough building. Yeah, beautiful yeah. green mountains everywhere. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The building itself was only eight years old mm-hmm. with a capacity for 1,300 students, and it was divided into 28 classrooms. Okay. This day in October was like any other. At around noon, the students had just returned to their classes after their morning break. So for all of our listeners, 
outside of the Basque country or Spain in general. Um, the rumors are true. The timetables are off by a few hours here <laughs> compared to everybody else, right? Like, Time so they came back from their morning break at noon. Whereas okay. like in the U.S., I would have been going to lunch at noon, right? I mean, I and don't... for them here, they go to lunch at two. Okay, that's what you mean. Yeah, we later. Okay, I yeah. was confused. Eat later. Yeah. I didn't... Oh yeah. I barely went to school, so I'm not sure what you're talking about there. <laughs> so, so you didn't have a timetable that you yeah I was to. I was homeschooled till 14, and then in Brazil, there's morning school, there's afternoon school, and there's evening school. So, oh yeah. You know, yeah, sometimes people have to work, like kids have to work. So, but that's why there are night schools and afternoon schools in case you're working in the morning and you have to uh, go to school. So would your school day be only like a few hours? So I think morning was something like 6-ish to 12. 6 a.m.? Yeah, that was morning. And then afternoon was like, uh, like say, say 12.30 till 5.36-ish. And then... Evening would be six ish to like eleven thirty at night. Damn, uh -huh. that's crazy! I didn't know you went to evening school. Mm -hmm. Huh. No. Okay, so um, meanwhile, down in the kitchen of the school, which was located in the basement, mm -hmm. um, city maintenance worker and plumber, fifty-two-year-old Francisco Contreras, mm -hmm. was called in to look into an issue the school was having with the heating boiler. Okay. I keep wanting to say broiler. So if I say broiler, just correct me. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> not cooking. Boiler, yeah. We're, we're not like putting anything warm. in the oven. Okay. Okay. So the boiler was located below the kitchen in a space that ran, you know, the entire length of the school and oh. housed all of like the drainage, piping, electrical wiring, you know, all the mechanics that you'd find under a building, right? So underneath, okay. Like a. Yeah, it was kind of like under, yeah, like a sub basement below mm -hmm. the basement. Okay. Because I think the kitchen was in the basement. Okay. According to the documentary that I watched on this and from what was reported later, some of the staff had been complaining about a terrible odor in the school. Mm. And it was surmised that the odor was resulting from an issue with the septic tanks. Okay. So it seems like they were, he, they called him for the, there was the issue with the heating boiler. So okay. let's leave it at that. Uh, he came in and, um, you know, had to go look at the problem and the problem would require that Mr. Contreras would do some welding in order to resolve it. So, as I said, it was just before noon. Classes had just resumed after their morning break when a huge explosion rocked the entire school. Oh, my gosh. The explosion was felt throughout the entire school. It shook everything, shattering windows on all floors, jarring blackboards off of the walls, and shifting all of the desks and furniture in the building. Wow. The explosion had emanated from the basement of the building and could be heard from over six kilometers away. Oh, my gosh. One whole side of the building at the ground level was blown away. And all of the classrooms that were on the ground floor completely collapsed into the basement, wow. dragging down with it 128 people. Oh. Yeah. 80 to 90 of which were the youngest little students. Oh. My God. So it was the so five to six-year-olds in the three classrooms on the ground floor, which were like the first year primary EBG, no, EGB course. Okay, I've heard that. I don't. What does EGB again? Well, I'm about to tell you because I happy. also had to look into that. Because the thing is, and that'll give us a little break from this tragedy for a second. Yeah. To go into the school system here. Every every school system is so different. Yeah. 
Hmm. And, and I was barely in any school system. So. <laughs> well, I'm actually really glad you asked because I was, I was like, somebody might ask me about this and I'm going to have to know. I was afraid you were going to so count I on looked me into for it. that. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> okay. So EGB stands for education, educación general básico. So mm. general basic education. Okay. So at that time, um, schooling for all children was free and compulsory until the age of 14. Mm-hmm. It has since been changed. And today, basic compulsory education consists of primary education until about age 12, and then secondary education, now called ESO. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer called EGB. It doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, which ESO is a, um, obligatory secondary education. Okay. That, does that finish at 14 as well? No. Now that is uh, that now requires that basic education is until the age of 16. Okay. So here's a little, an extra little insight into the educational system. At the time of this tragedy in 1980, Spain's education system was based entirely on the LGE, mm-hmm. which I think stands for General Law of Education. Okay. So Ley General Educación. It makes sense. Educativo or educación. De Educación, probably. Educación, which was from 1970 until 1984, often re- to, uh, referred to as the Villar Palasi Law after the Minister of Education and Science at the time, Jose Luis Villar Palasi. Mm-hmm. This law was the Franco government's attempt to modernize Spain's public education system. Mm-hmm. And although it's been added to and modified since the return of democracy and with the establishment of the 1978 Spanish Constitution post-Franco's death in 1975, the structure it established was still ne- nearly completely intact well into the 1980s. Okay. So that's where the EGB that I think that's yes. When they were still functioning under at the time of this. So there you go. All right. Well, should we take a little break before we get back to the really horror, horrible story? Yes. Um, Let's take a break break and drink a little more wine. (laughs) See you soon. Okay. Bye. We're back. We're back. Little time for a special effect. Nice. Oh, now you're on the beer. No more wine for Douglas. Clang, clang. It means delicious, but you know, I just like a taste of it. Mm-hmm. It's very refreshing. Mm. Okay, so back to our horrendous story. Yes. So in this part of the episode, I'm going to be going into testimonials from people, mm-hmm. and so. There might be descriptions in here that are disturbing. So if mm. that's too much for you, then maybe you should move on or s- skip ahead. Uh, but Douglas, you don't have that luxury. So no. you just have to sit here and take it. I'm here. Okay. I mean, I, I'm easier if it's not with images. You know, if it's with images, yeah. I can't escape it. Yeah. My imagination, I can. I think I can. I think I can deal with it. Let's give it a try. All right. Here we so go. So the school explodes. Yep. It's kind of, I'm guessing it's some kind of gas. I mean, this is not spoiling anything, any part of the story, I think. Well, it's unknown at this point. Yes. Right? Why, but why it exploded? There was an explosion and there was a plumber that had, in, he had some kind of uh, soldering. Uh, yeah, like a flame. welding. Yeah. Welding, that's what Well, I a guy means. came in to fix the boiler and he had to Boom. do some welding. So... As I said, the entire ground floor of the building had collapsed mm-hmm. into the basement, along mm-hmm. with all of the little babies in the first year primary classes. My gosh. So all the five and six-year-olds. My gosh. Yeah. 
I mean, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, it feels like I'm, I'm going to, I always say this, but you know, that's what you get with dictatorships that don't give a fuck about their people. You know, they just build these crappy buildings and schools and they're not accountable for anything. And in the way, I mean, I'm not just, disc- yeah, I guess it would have been built. If it was eight years old, it would have been built during Franco's yeah he was still alive yeah so just substandard everything mm. unfortunately mm. so as this was such an enormous explosion that couldn't be missed by anyone in the surrounding area the first ones to respond were of course the neighbors okay and wow. um, of the school and you know and its surroundings yeah makes sense so um one witness was jose lorenzo diego who was working in a fish market located just 10 meters from the school wow. he recounted Quote, I heard the explosion, which tore the door off of the shop and threw me to the ground. As soon as I recovered, I looked out and saw what was happening at the school, where I had three grandchildren. Oh, my gosh. I ran out there. There were devastating screams, the voices of the wounded on the one hand and the cries of the children on the first and second floors, Mm. who jumped out of the windows and ran towards the neighboring fields. Oh, my gosh. They were coming and going without knowing what to do. Upon arrival, I found four or five other men who had begun to extract the children from the rubble. I wanted to look for my grandchildren, but first I helped to get three children out. They were dead. Then I saw one of my granddaughters, and she, along with her mother, found the other two kids in the field above the school. Oh, my gosh. End quote. So his kids, his grandkids, Mm. luckily survived. Yeah, still traumatizing enough. That's horrible. Totally. Another witness and first responder was unemployed worker Pedro Callejo. Mm -hmm. He said that of the day, quote, I was taking a walk with my son who was not yet going to school by the field that's just above the school. Mm -hmm. It so happens that I was looking towards the school and saw everything. Mm -hmm. That is the glass shattering and pieces of the wall that jumped, the collapse of the wall on the left of the building. Mm -hmm. I left my child with a lady and ran down to help. I helped get a teacher out who was half dead, busted. There were mutilated children without heads oh my or with gosh. one arm, something terrible. We got about 15 or more out before the ambulances arrived, hmm. leaving them under the shed opposite the entrance. The most terrible thing was the screams and the cries of the children hmm. and later of the mothers who were arriving. Hmm. End quote. Wow. Right. So um, the shed he's referring to is like the a huge um, covered area over like a patio mm-hmm. where the kids can play at recess and not mm-hmm. get wet. This yeah. is pretty common to see at schools and playgrounds here. Yeah, it's a very so it's quite wet rainy. region. Yeah. yeah. So this is this covered area is where many of the perished victims were laid while waiting for official responders to, res- to arrive. Yeah, and that's horrible. I know. Jaime Rodriguez Parejas, an afternoon shift worker at the Babcock and Wilcox Company, mm-hmm. was working in a small orchard adjoining the school when, around 10 minutes to 12, he heard the explosion. Jaime, father of two boys and one girl, all three students at the school, ran to the affected area of the building and, according to him, found himself in a Dante-esque spectacle. Absolutely. Quote, the children were thrown out of the windows like, while the remains of others appeared on the front of the building. End quote. Oh man, that's I know, intense. it's really terrible. I know. Yeah, horrible. Um, but you know, these are like witness accounts. This is what they saw and yeah. 
we're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, three other people, residents of the apartment building located in front of the school, which was also affected by the blast's expansive wave, mm-hmm. um, began together with Jaime Rodriguez, the task of clearing debris. The group was joined shortly after by some teachers from the classrooms on the first floor, where some of the children were also injured, although not seriously, and they were all joined by other residents of the area. So within minutes, the community immediately mobilized to assist the injured and to search for survivors in the wake of the explosion, including the mayor of Ortuella, uh, Manuel Fernandez Ramos. And it made a note in the paper that he was a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. Well, Manuel I, Fernandez Ramos, a socialist. <laughs> well, in the time, they're just coming out of dictatorships, so I guess... Mm-hmm. So that was like something to point out, right? It's, it's both both reaffirming and and also kind of new, right? Yeah. I'm all I'm I'm kind of tearing up. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. It's really sad. It's okay. I'm sorry. Well, you know, it's it's truth, and we have to hear it. I think it's such an important part of the history, and I think people maybe should talk more about it, right? Because yeah, it's very traumatic. Yeah. Anyway. So the mayor arrived around noon. He arrived on the scene recalling, quote, when I heard the explosion, I ran up the hill to the school. I saw upon arrival the most terrible scene of my life. Some children came out on foot, despite the fact that they were bleeding and a little and mutilated. I went into autopilot. I began to help those who were already working among the rubble. Yeah. We took out two children. Suddenly I realized what I had to do was tell someone to ask for help. Yeah. So I went back down, found a phone and raised the alarm. Hmm. Um, Asuncion Lausorena, who was 10 years old at the time, was on the first floor. And this is her quote. Hmm. The teacher had not come that day, she relates, because she was going to have a baby and she had gone to the doctor. So a teacher came in to take over the class and we convinced him to let us play. So we were pretending to be ballet dancers. Oh, that's so cute. Mm -hmm. Suddenly there was a very loud explosion, which made the tables and glass jump. Some children were bleeding a lot and we couldn't breathe. Almost everyone jumped off the window. I was going to go out, but the blackboard fell on me and I was left alone. Then the teacher came back and took me out. Outside, there were many dead children, and others were screaming. End quote. Man, that's horrible. Um, <clears throat> I'm almost through with these testimonials, okay? Yeah, no, no, it's okay. I mean, you know, we see so many disasters on TV, you know, like water floods and, and earthquakes, and we don't get these Here's testimonies the de- anymore, yeah, the details right? Of it's just a number of these days. It really is, mm. yeah. So, uh, ter- yeah, like traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. But also to understand that you kind of need to hear some testimonies, all right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> otherwise, it's just a number. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just like this many people died in yeah. the flooding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or earthquakes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Maria Teresa Ormachea. 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 Teacher and director of the center was also on the first floor in the secondary in the second year primary EGP classroom. Mm-hmm. Her son was on the ground floor. Wow. In one of the classes for the little ones. 
Um, so she recalled, quote, I felt the explosion. I started pulling the children out of the window. Then I saw what had happened downstairs, end quote. Her nightmare, knowing that her son was somewhere within the affected area of the building, mm -hmm. filled her with dread and panic. Mm -hmm. um, the uncertainty of his fate very much matched the turmoil that many were experiencing in the immediate aftermath. Absolutely. <clears throat> so according to the testimonies of those in the neighborhood, people weren't sure what had happened until the whole neighborhood went into a panic and everyone started heading up the hill to the school to help or check on their children. Because if you had children, they most certainly were at the school. It was the only school yeah. in town. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, when you, when you said, started saying that this guy was in a shop in a fish market, you know, and then you said he had three grandchildren there. Of course, yeah. you know, everybody has. Everybody children. has that, like knows some kid there. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, and what I was going to point it's out. It's such a small place too, you know. Yeah. And, and I don't think people's minds would go there necessarily, but it is a time when Etta was. Uh, I'll get there. Was an active <laughs> uh, movement, and ETA is the independence movement, and they had lots of bombs. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was directed mostly toward politicians, but not only. So, yeah, mm, it's an ambiguous situation. You know, yeah. it's not a war, but so nobody knows what's happening, yeah, right? Yeah, like you're a, just like not sure. Yeah, what's happening? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So once the alarm had been raised and emergency services had been called in, people from all over the area converged on the area to help out, including the workers from the mines, the local mines and factories, who, while still wearing their blue work wear, like because yeah, I guess that was course. the standard wear. Yeah, you're not going to change like, clothes. The, the, the pullovers or the uh, what, coveralls, I guess you call them. People that work in factories wear coveralls. Like, I'll, I'll like let you use length, any word. I like think a they're full all acceptable. Outfit. Monkey suit. <laughs> Monkey suit. <laughs> Anything you want to call it. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful that everybody. Yeah, gets like together. everybody went into action. It's pretty no, incredible. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful thing of the Basque Country. I yeah, the community. The we sense see of community. community very often. Yeah. Yeah. So they. Um, all these people, all these people came in from everywhere, all the factories and the mines, and um, they organized several rescue brigades. In the workers' unions, um, CCOO, which is Comisiones Obreras, or Workers' Commissions, mm -hmm. and the UGT, Union General de Trabajadores, General Union of Workers, mm -hmm. summoned the members of the left bank of the Nervion. So that's the, the, the left region bank you were talking in. to. Yeah, yeah. Or the... the <clears throat> the side of the river where all this happened. Um, oh, the less, uh, the Nervion is the estuary or the river that mm -hmm. runs through Bilbao. They um, were able to um, summon all the members all along there by radio or by telephone to get to go to blood donation centers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they were organizing like blood mm -hmm. donations. 200 volunteers from the Red Cross, along with nurses and doctors from Cruces Hospital and outpatient clinics in the mining area, provided first aid to the wounded. Um, workers from the factories on the left bank of the estuary were in charge of organizing traffic on the road from Santurce to Bilbao, leaving only one, one of the roads permanently clear, along mm. which only ambulances could travel. Wow. 
So this is like a huge community effort. Yeah. So organized. And it came together like pretty quickly. Yeah. That's surprising. Yeah. It's crazy. So the police and the fire brigade and other emergency responders um, arrived on the scene, which according to some testimonies, it wasn't until around quarter to one. So it took them a while to like get there. And maybe it's because it took a while for someone to actually call. Yeah. Right. Like to raise the alarm Mm because people just went straight to help yeah and then didn't you know like oh crap we got to call somebody to help us out here you know yeah you you you, i you put the mayor's testament in the right place where you saw that he kind of reacted immediately he was like i'm the one in charge here it's a small town right yep but then my duty here is to like get some serious you know get help here yeah it's incredible how those things have changed because today you know you couldn't you couldn't have five minutes without somebody just calling on their own mobile and right those times you know you had to actually go to physical go find phone. A phone yeah there weren't that many they were expensive it's it's, yeah. a, it's it's crazy it doesn't feel that long ago um i mean it was born in 1980 it's a long time ago but yeah it, it was a very different kind of society right with mm-hmm. pre-mobile Completely. just mm, never mind the internet etc Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's the one emergency o'clock. Responder, There's more yeah. emergency. The emergency responders relayed a similar reaction to coming upon the scene, saying it was absolutely horrific, mm-hmm. like nothing they'd ever seen before in their line of work. In addition, the Guardia Civil, which we've mentioned a few times on our podcasts, which is the you know civil guard or the federal police yeah, uh, agency. Yeah. It's federal, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's like a national guard, but there's another one called the Nation- Policia Nacional. So. Yeah, I know. I never know. <laughs> Too what many police here. And I don't know if federal is even the right word, but that's what I think of it because I'm American. I would think of something yeah, that it isn't. spans the whole country. It so clearly federal. isn't. No, uh, so I don't know. philosophy in the This sense. is us like, you know, yeah. A federation has equality between its members, and a kingdom, which is what we are, does not. Ah, <laughs> there's clearly a king. Okay. And then gotcha. there's the subject regions. <laughs> so this is the civil guard, right? Right. Okay. Yes. And it's throughout the whole nation. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so in addition, the Guardia Civil mm-hmm. had to try to get the citizens, the parents, teachers, neighbors, etc., that were searching in the rubble away from the building. Mm-hmm. As some of them were themselves becoming injured, right. pulling up rubble of and course, stuff. Of course, they're desperate. They're yeah, mm. and um, they were needing first aid themselves. Mm, yeah, yeah, and so then another concern was that all of the citizens around trying to help were putting themselves in danger mm-hmm. as the upper floors of the school or one of the other lateral walls were mm. in danger of collapsing at any minute. Wow! So a cordon had to be formed by the. Um, civil guard mm-hmm. to try and with great difficulty to keep wow. parents and neighbors away from the building. So, you know, you wouldn't be thinking straight as a parent or neighbor, you'd be trying to get uh, yeah. to get in and help and do what you could to find your children or whatever. So the rescue operation had to not only transport the wounded, but recover the dead mm. and tend to the parents at the scene. Mm. <clears throat> parents were um, summoned to the town hall around two o'clock to view the lists of the enrolled students in mm-hmm. order to establish like a definitive account of yeah. victims. Um, and there were so many victims that there weren't enough ambulances to transport the injured to the hospital. And therefore people were also transporting them to the hospital in, in private cars. cars. Of course. Yeah. Over 50 
or so, sorry, of the 50 or so wounded victims that were pulled out um, and taken to hospital, about 10 to 11 of them later died of their injuries. That's already a lot, but there's, wasn't there almost 200 people in the school? <clears throat> there was 870. 800, oh my gosh. Children. Yeah. Not including the teachers and staff. <sighs> okay. So the morgue, then, of course, everybody's like overwhelmed at the mm -hmm. hospital, too. Yeah, morgue, right? hospital, which is like the largest hospital in the area, which is in um, Baracaldo. Mm -hmm. um, it's north of here, it's closer to closer them than to it them. is to us. Then, like, and... Basurto is closer to Bilbao Center, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, Cruces is the biggest one, I think. It's kind of halfway kinda... from here to Ortoya, I think. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty close to halfway. Mm hmm. It's good for so, access for them, but uh, yeah. So they're overwhelmed. Not much help. Mm. And you know, they had, in the documentary I watched, they had people talking about what it was like for them to be taking in all these patients and kids. Yeah, crazy. So the morgue at the hospital wasn't even large enough for all of the perished. And in the end, they had to establish a space, which is essentially like a large room mm -hmm. to accommodate all of those who had lost their lives. Mm. When it came time for family members to then identify their loved ones, it was yet another agonizing ordeal. Because we're talking about mostly young children. Here. Yeah. And many of them have been disfigured mm. because of the nature of the disaster. And, the, you know, the victims either died from the explosion itself or from being crushed when the mm -hmm. building collapsed. Mm. So <clears throat> the hospital staff had to, like, sedate many of the parents for asking them to identify their loved ones. Mm. And they further tried to lessen their trauma by having them only identify the clothing mm -hmm. that the children were wearing that day. That's a good move. I have never heard of that, but yeah. yeah, that sounds like the thing to do, especially with the scale of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, everyone involved in this tragedy was extremely affected by this mm -hmm. event and those who made up the rescue operation, and the hospital staff testified that it was one of their worst days on the job. Yeah. And obviously the parents of the deceased were deeply grieving, but the whole community was touched by it because it was, you know, like we were saying, such a small community mm. and it traumatized everyone. And many of those community members would know. Yeah. If they weren't people affected, their there would be children, nieces and nephews yeah. or grandchildren or neighbors, neighbors yeah. or friend, their friends, kids you know, they're friends of their kids. and Yeah, and when it's divided by age, it's just a class. And so, you know, it just affects everybody in the community. It's yeah. crazy. So all told, 49 children died. Wow. And three adults. A lot of people. I know. And the 49 children um, made up most of the class of those first-year primary students, the five- and six-year-olds. Yeah, that's a hard one. So, um, including the son of the witness I mentioned earlier, Maria, Teresa, oh, the director yeah. of the school. Yeah. Um, so from that class, only four children survived. Wow. I mean, I guess it was close to the source of the explosion. Well, it was the whole ground floor. Right. So that was the one that collapsed into the basement. Okay. So they just got crushed by rubble. And Man. Well, I mean, or or the explosion was right there, right? Mm -hmm. So because it occurred in the basement, which is right below their classroom, mm -hmm. which then collapsed the floor of the whole building. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm just hoping we're going to have better building standards after this tragedy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm it did sorry. change things. And grasping. I know, it did grasping. change things. <laughs> good, good. I'm happy. Yeah. For something. Mm, so, Not yet. you know, it essentially mm-hmm. wiped out that whole generation wow. of that age group. That's that, like 95% of that generation yeah. between five and six years old was wiped out. That is, that is horrible. Yeah. Among the adults whose lives were lost were two teachers and the school's cook who was in the basement kitchen. Hmm. Two of the children's survivors were interviewed in the documentary that I watched and they Hmm. recounted how they managed to survive. One girl was at her teacher's desk showing her something she'd done or was asking her a question when the explosion occurred. Mm -hmm. And she somehow ended up under the desk Hmm when it happened, mm. which protected her from the collapse of the building. Right. And she recalled how she was in and out of consciousness, but could hear the neighbors and parents digging in the rubble. Wow. And at one point she could actually see her mother's skirt. Oh, wow. And w- which prompted her to like call out and alert oh, wow. the searchers to her location. Wow. Such so, an intimate story at the same time. It's yeah. crazy. Eh? And one of the photos that appeared in the newspapers, cause of course it's all the same photos. Mm-hmm. You'll see over and over again of the day. It right? was the eighties. Two people had cameras. Yeah. Right. So it's all the same photos. Yeah. Yeah. So um one of the photos that appeared in the newspapers from that day is her being carried out to her mother. Hmm. The other survivor only remembers that right before the blast they were in art class making things with Play-Doh. Um and he just happened to live because two huge slabs of concrete fell and landed like a tent over him. Wow. So he became pinned underneath them in the space that was created below it. Some people are lucky. Just lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unlucky to be in an explosion, but still. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the day. So um, let's take a break and then we'll talk about what the aftermath. All right. And we're back. Okay. So the aftermath. All right. Mm -hmm. So a joint funeral was held for all of the victims. So Mm. they did a a funeral for everyone at the same time. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I never, I mean, joint wedding, okay. Well, it was like a community thing. I know. It was something everybody went through. So it was like, I can get it. I get it, like, in the sense that, like, it does make sense. Everybody knew everyone was affected by it. And, Mm. like, you know, even if it wasn't directly like a relation of yours that died, mm-hmm. you probably knew the other kids that died somehow because they were friends of the child that you knew or the child that was part of your family. You know what I mean? So, like, it was like... Yeah, I get it. So, my, so my, they did a joint funeral. My my, my just my, my gut reaction is like, oh, you know, let's say I love my child's. I just don't want them to get lost, you know, in the but they sea of things. I, I don't think they would. I think it's like a, a ma- in mass, you know, mm. it's like a grieving in mass. Mm. Um, so, yeah, well, like I'm saying, the outpouring of grief, <clears throat> sorry, for this community spread throughout the entire nation, like mm. all of Spain. Happy to hear. Well, and um, the organizers anticipated an enormous turnout for any and all of these funerals that were going to be taking mm. place for this tragedy. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just troubled with your word nation there. Nation is not appropriate here. Let's just, just okay. well, I'll say country, that all country. of Spain and the whole country of yeah. Spain. Yeah. Thank you. So Makes it was held happy. in an industrial pavilion 
which was used for shipbuilding at the time. Pretty... So they had to use this huge space mm. where more than 7,000 people attended this funeral. Wow. And there's footage of this funeral. Wow. And it's also just so astounding mm. to see. Was this in a documentary, I imagine, yeah. you watched? Yeah. Right? Like, I've never... I mean, I might have heard that name, but I never realized the intensity of that tragedy. Yeah. Well, what, what, when you watched that, what, what, what were your thoughts went through your head? Like, because <clears throat> you know. Well, Bilbao, I mean, it's you know? astounding to see mm. when you see in in the amount of coffins. Mm, right. Just in a row. Just, mm. Yeah. It's just like crazy how many mm. people died that mm. day. Yeah. Children. Yeah. Mostly, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very sad. And and everybody in the whole country was feeling that, mm. like everyone could relate in a way. You of know course, I mean? yeah. Okay. Like losing a child like that. Yeah, classrooms, a community. Yeah, mm. intense. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and there's also like I mean, because it was so such a big story mm. in the whole country that um, the the queen was seen. You know, there's footage of the queen visiting mm -hmm. the, the kids that had survived in right. the hospital. You know, so it was it's just the like least it they was can like do. all over the press. It was all mm -hmm. over everywhere. <clears throat> Sorry, it was just like everywhere. I'm at the same time I'm happy to did it. At the same time, I feel there's this slight use of those emotions you know it, it's it, but i think that it, you know i would rather they come and and pay their respects that's yeah. the minimum they can i do. think that's yeah. all anyone was doing at this time so i mean it just rocked everybody everybody was just yeah. shocked and like it was For just sure. an unfathomable yeah like tragedy Shock. that yeah. just you know you lose your kids where you think they should be safe mm. at school and mm -hmm. Yeah, just horrified everyone, everywhere. Of course, of course. So, how did this happen? Mm. Well, in the immediate aftermath, the rumor spread that it was a terrorist attack by Etta. Right. It was the 1980s, after all, and things were popping off at the time. Mm -hmm. And I really, honestly, don't care to go into all the ins and outs of Etta at this point. No, I mean, we're... we've. <laughs> It, you know, just Google ETA. There's a Wikipedia page if you're interested. If you look it into was it, yeah. an independence movement. I mean, so um, this rumor spread, and it was even speculated upon, you know, speculated upon in the press, and it stuck for a while until an actual formal investigation and criminal trial took place. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that the cause of the explosion, as you nailed it before, Douglas, mm -hmm. was none other than a propane gas leak. Yeah. Oh, so it was propane and not related to the, the sewage system? Because I thought it could have been gas from the sewage system as well. No, it was propane. Okay. Because, you know, there's a lot of gas coming from... Enough to cause that oh. big of an explosion. Oh, yeah. I know that methane gas is pretty... You can produce it from, like, cow shit. Like, there's... Yeah, I know. That's, yeah. like, one of the biggest polluters, right? In the world today is methane gas well, from farts. Yeah. <laughs> but then there, there's an ambiguity there because it is true that if you just leave a cow in the field, it will be f farting and burping, and that's going to release CO2. But the fact is, the matter is, that if you just collect its poo and put it in a vet, you're going to collect a, collect a lot of gas as well. And, and, I, and this is an industrial process. Some farms collect the poo, put it in a vet, and, and there's tons of gas that gets out there. You can run your whole farm on the methane that comes from just the, the, 
hard shit. solids. Exactly. I was trying to look for a better word. Cow shit. Come on. Or bullshit. Yeah. So it, it, the live animal, in when it comes out, it's still producing the CO2. So, you know, if you have bad piping, you can definitely accumulate I mean, a lot I, of I, gas. I'm, I'm like now having like flashbacks of hearing stories about how there have been explosions mm-hmm. of something from methane. Yes. In from farms. somebody yeah. farting or from cows farting or something. I, I can't, can't I cannot it. right now go into my files into my brain and remember the story mm. that I heard. But um, there's a number of cases. I have heard like of that. that. Yeah, it's true. But uh, anyway, don't hold me to that, please. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, you... it's something that like one of those pieces of news that you take in at some point and then you, you took half the information. In. Right. You took mm. half in and, mm. and then a fourth of that stayed. Mm. <laughs> so. We're good. We're good. But anyway, we all know gas explodes. If you, if you present yeah. it to so fire. So this is propane though. All mm. right. Okay. We'll stick to the propane. It's a kind of gas. <laughs> all right. So, <clears throat> all right. So I'm going to do my best sorry, in explaining sorry. how this occurred. So stick with me. Um, Because it's about to get technical, and Mm. uh, so keep holding on to that chapella. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Holding, holding. Okay. So first of all, there was no one person to blame for what happened that day. Mm -hmm. Yet it was an accumulation of many factors. Mm -hmm. Poorly completed construction jobs, standardized Mm. building plans, and cost-saving measures. Are we saying lack of standardized? No, no. Standardized building plans. Was one of the one of the issues. Mm-hmm. So as you recall, um, the so school, bad and as you recall that like there was they had called in that city maintenance worker, the plumber, yes. Mr. Um, Contreras. Mm-hmm. Well, remember to tend to an issue with the school's boiler, mm-hmm. which and his presence that day also played a part in what happened. So we'll get back to him later. Okay. okay? All right. So. All right. Here we go. Mm-hmm. This is the homework I had to do for this episode, which made it a really hard. I had to do homework and I'm study sorry. and stuff I'm and sorry. trying to wrap my head around things. Because this stuff, you know, I don't really care mm-hmm. about that much. So, so anyway. I mean, next time, don't worry about the technical No, details. because if I have questions about it, then I know that other people might have questions mm-hmm. about it. So if I'm like, wait, what? Then I know that I better figure out the answer to that. <laughs> so and then I have to go find the answer to that. Right. So, Fair um, enough. thank you for the effort. So here we go. This is the best of my ability. So underneath the school, mm-hmm. um, underground ran various piping systems, right? Mm-hmm. Electrical and propane. Oh, that's so already sounding be, terrible. They could be like propane pipes that, you know, fed the whole community and electrical systems that fed the, the, the community and, or the, um, like the railway that was nearby. Right. So there was just a lot of like, Piping, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, so firstly, to address the issue of the poorly completed construction jobs mm. that I mentioned. So apparently the electrical piping and wiring that ran under the school were not properly encased in cement mm. when they were installed. So this is required because of the nature of electrical current, right? Yeah. It's like positive and negative running back and forth. Well, there's sparks if there's bad connection. Well, like they have to go back and forth and then hit like I don't see. This is the shit I read about, and now I can't explain. I think the the issue is there's a possibility of sparks which could ignite gas. I think in the end of the day, that's what we're. No. No. Okay. That's not what happened. Okay. No, I. Okay. So I think that's a danger. Okay, so Mm -hmm. the so they weren't properly encased, Mm -hmm. and if 
So they prevent, if it's properly encased in the cement, like it should be, mm -hmm. then it uh, would prevent the electrical current from escaping that oh, area yeah. and therefore corroding other metal piping mm -hmm. in the area or the vicinity of that electrical current. Okay. I don't, I'm going to just careful. I don't think electrical current corrodes anything, but. I'm well, it does. It's, there's, really? a, there's a name for it. Okay. Which I'm going to get to. Ah, interesting. Learning. So as this can be an issue. Hmm. Um, by law at the time, all industrial infrastructure had to be built with what is called cathodic protection in mm -hmm. all metal piping. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I had to look into all this just because I don't know shit about this stuff. <laughs> that you, you can see even I was trumped, so. Yeah. So, the propane lines were required to have this type of protection in the mm -hmm. piping to protect the metals used in the pipeline against what's called electrolysis. Electrolysis, yeah which is the corrosion of metals by electrical current. Mm. Okay. Are you still with me? I am. I okay. didn't know what that, that, that meant that, but this is very fascinating. What, what you don't know what, what meant electro electro. That's what it's called yeah. is when, when those, I guess when the, yeah, no, you said it was a corrosion of metal through electricity, which yeah. I didn't know. Like it's like it, it's hitting against it so often that it just corrodes the metal. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So now let's talk about the school's design. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we get to the school's design and the cost saving measures that they, that played a part mm. at the time the building was constructed, it was using a, like a standard standardized design, which was in common use throughout the country. Mm -hmm. So, um, this is one way that they would save money by just adopting a a design that was like a standardized this is a public I mean, school yeah building, classic right? di dictatorship don't look, yeah. don't don't think whether just it's a rainy adopt region this architectural design and then use that to build the, yeah, yeah just build them all the same mm -hmm. so in the case of marcelino orgade uh, which was built on a hillside it meant that a huge basement um was built underground Mm -hmm. Which in other areas, if it was like built on like flat terrain, it would have been built on like as the first floor or the ground floor okay. of the building. But mm -hmm. here, because it was on a hillside, the foundation was not adapted to, you know, to be because well, it was a basement. Yeah. And they decided to put in a basement. Yeah. So that ground floor became like the basement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, it wasn't required for non-industrial buildings to have cathodic protection, this okay. protection that they use for to prevent electrolysis mm -hmm. on its propane lines. And when they built the school, they opted out of including this protection because it was costly. Okay. So the lines that ran under the school became corroded from electrosis, mm -hmm. causing the perforations in a few sections of the propane line, which resulted in a leak. So now normally the leak would just go into the ground and not cause any immediate problems, but because propane is heavier than air, it naturally goes in the direction mm. of least resistance and into low lying areas. Oh, I thought it would float higher. That's no, so it's weird, actually right? heavier. Wow. I guess. Interesting. So the propane in this case went through the ground because it was underground where yeah. the lines were and it entered into the school through a hole in the electrical tubing that led into the basement of the school. Mm. So there's like a hole in the electrical tubing and then that it, the propane went into that hole and then it led into the school via that tubing. It's mm -hmm. another tube inside the school though, right? Yeah. Okay. 
so it got into the tubing that was in the electrical tubing that was for the school. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and um, so it's heavy. So it didn't go anywhere mm, once it, it entered. stayed in the basement. It just stayed in the basement. Right. Yeah. It just all collected just into the kept, basement. Right. Accumulating. And the, which, and the basement itself extended the entire length of the school. Mm. So it was just like Big filling area. that whole basement with propane. Wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. I can see you're following me. Good. <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm explaining this well. Just, enough. just to link up with with other stories, we had a mini crime time with a miner who died in an explosion, yep. and it sounds like another case where more sort of canaries. We should be walking around. With I canaries. know there should be canaries <laughs> everywhere, or something. Install a canary in our phone, Apple. Come on. Come on. <laughs> So you'd think if there was so much propane collecting in the basement of a building, someone would notice, right? Well, well I, I actually know that the, the smell of propane is added post. Exactly. It's actually a thing we do. Exactly. Yeah. By itself, it's not. Right. Odor- propane it's gas itself is odorless. Yeah. However, when used for domestic purposes, mm-hmm. a substance is added to make it smell really fucking bad Just so that well. you can detect leaks. And I've detected it a few times in my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a strong, clear smell for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, just my... Well, lucky you that you detected it. Huh? I mean, you know, in, in Latin America, it's very common to have, uh, I guess, we call it propane. I never knew it until today, but like the, the the propane gas, you know, you just have to connect it manually every time you change it. So, you know, these things leak. And, and quite a few times I was like, you didn't close it properly. Yeah, <laughs> no. And that's why they mm. add the smell. And that did have smell, though. Because yeah. of the danger of I it, right? I had that that advantage, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I thought... it's been speculated that as the gas path through, um, passed through the ground mm-hmm. before entering that tubing mm. that led into the basement, it mm. passed through the clay and the earth, which okay. acted as a filter, causing mm. it to lose some of that odor. Oh, right. However... Post-explosion, it was said that some of the school staff had complained about an unpleasant smell. Right. And it was written off as a septic problem. They were maybe not even used to the fact that that was the smell of gas at the time. Because yeah. it seems like it would be a new introduction, right? I was like, when did they start doing that? Because I don't know. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So let's talk about our plumber and his role. Mm-hmm. In all this, Mr. Contreras mm-hmm. was called in to address an issue with the school. Oh, sorry, that the school is having with the uh, the boiler. Mm-hmm. I almost called it broiler. <laughs> <laughs> you made it with the boiler located in none other than the basement. Okay, right. Yeah. I think it was below. From what I've gathered from the reenactments I saw in the documentary, Mm -hmm. it seems as though there was like the basement where the kitchen stuff was. Mm -hmm. And then there was a lower kind of like, like crawl space type basement below Mm -hmm. that where all the piping and everything was. Okay. That's what it seemed to look like. Like they had to access the lower below Mm -hmm. the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So all this propane is collecting in that area, right? Over time. And um, even more unfortunate was the fact that uh, he'd have to do some welding. Yeah. So it was when he proceeded to light the blowtorch or the mm. the whatever the, yeah, the torch or whatever he had to use name. to do welding. 
it sparked the explosion. Yeah. He miraculously survived. No way. Oh my yeah. gosh. What the F? Yes. Um, one explanation is that the explosion caused an air current pushing the gas mm-hmm. to the other side of the room and mm-hmm. igniting in front of him. Wow. Like blowing him backwards and oh, away from the fire. Yeah. So like you yeah. Physics. So yeah. Crazy, huh? So you might be thinking that. What a lucky guy. No. Okay. No. Of no, course his presence at the school that day and being the unwitting like catalyst mm-hmm. for the explosion made him like the scapegoat mm-hmm. for the event. I mean it's clearly not his fault. For some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, but of Don't course he didn't he did never he didn't escape. Okay. Not being blamed, right? Mm-hmm. So this poor man suffered from harassment. Really? He had his car set on fire. He was beat up a few times. I mean, the whole community is traumatized, but... It, I know, you have to look for somebody, right? I mean, we also need some evidence first. But, yeah, it's natural okay. for somebody to, like, find someone to blame, right? Well, yes, natural, not just Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, natural in the sense that, like, oh, sure. people we have a lot it. of grief and they just don't know what to do with it, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, but this is considering the fact that he had a daughter that was in the school at the time. Oh, my god. He had gosh. a nine-year-old daughter oh that was gosh. attending school at the time. I so mean, it's not like... That's enough reason not to do anything to him. I know, right? Like, he's also... Clearly. Like, everyone's affected, right? Clearly, so, anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like... And then they went on to speculate that, like, what if he had come later that afternoon or if he'd come a week later or mm-hmm. even a month later, how much propane would have been mm-hmm. had collected. Makes sense. Could time. have been way more. It, way more and mm. caused even more. Yeah, you know, it's actually true. Wow. Yeah. A bigger explosion, you know. Um, maybe we should take a break because it's. Let's do that. We have we we yeah, we yes. And, we'll and then we'll get in into like the, the trial and stuff. Mm. Okay, let's take a break. See you in a second. Hello, everybody. Okay, so that's what happened. It was a propane leak. In the end, there was an investigation and a trial, and it was decided that there was no one person responsible for the commission of a criminal act, if you will. It was ruled... If one were to be blamed, it was decided that it was to be the the state educational system, as they had not exercised all due diligence to ensure that the state of the pipes would be such that there would be no risk of leaks, Mm. and therefore not allowing the gas to accumulate as it did. Okay. Okay. So, the state did take um, civil responsibility. Mm. And it compensated the families of the victims. Oh, wow. I'm happy to hear that. Wow. So for each child's death, the family was paid 2 million pesetas. Yeah. Was that 6,000 per so million? 12, in the 000? doc I watched when it aired, mm-hmm. the time that it aired, and I don't know what year it aired because mm-hmm. I didn't look into it. Mm-hmm. They had worked out that the sum would be equivalent to like 6 to 7 million pesetas, counting for inflation. You know? Oh. So what do you think that is in euros today? I'm going to let you try to decide. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what well, six to seven million pesetas would be in euros? It's actually a coincidence in life that um, pesetas and yen are pretty much equivalent. <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe you can work it out. So two million, I think, would be 12,000. 
thousand euros. Okay, and then counting for inflation, so which you would bring it up to six to seven million so pesetas. Seventy-two? No. What did I do? Did I skip a number of numbers? <laughs> <laughs> 36, 40, It's really clear 42, that 42. neither of us are very good. 42. 42,000 42, euros is my answer. Yes. That's a pretty good estimate. Thank you. So six to seven million pesetas today is between 36 to 42 million, or 32 to 42,000 euros. Toma, as they would say here. High five. Boom. <laughs> okay. Way to we nail it. Wow, that was pretty good. That was the good math. So, um, you know, that's really actually not that much. 36,000, 42,000. Absolutely not. Not for, for losing a child. Yeah. Of course. Can't put a price on that, right? No, never. I'm happy something was done. Yeah. In addition to that, the only silver lining, if there is one, mm-hmm. it might be that legislation was passed at this time mm-hmm. as a result of this tragedy. Good. Demanding that all propane piping had to include cat- cathodic protection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To prevent erosion and leaks. Good. Excellent. So, you know, before it was only for industrial mm. facilities, right? So mm-hmm. now it was for any and all Good. infrastructures. Good. Well, that's unfortunately how we advance with standards. We have to yep. wait for tragedies. Something has to happen in order for something to change, right? And we fix it. Yeah. After this happened in October of 1980, um, the school... School didn't commence in Ortuella until almost the end of the course. Mm-hmm. And even then, all of the students were divided and sent to various locations in town to attend class while the school was being rebuilt. Mm. Some went to churches or even the priest's house, some said, for class. Right. In order to co- accommodate everyone, it was commonplace to have like two hours of class a day and then they would leave to allow for another set of students to come in for their two hours of class. Mm. So that's how it went for a while. Um, so according to those interviews who survived, it wasn't until they were able to reincorporate all of the students into some um, prefabricated buildings that functioned as a school building mm. that the real loss of so many children was felt. Right. So like for a time there was, they were just all kind of separated and sent to different places to take you know, to do school. And, and Mm. it wasn't until they all kind of came back together Mm -hmm. that they were like, realized that like, Oh my God, there's like so many kids gone. Yeah. I mean, the thing that hits me in a sort of indirect way, when you mentioned that part is, oops, we're sixth year, you know, there's a year that's not there, whatever that year would be. It it just, the whole primary, there was no class for them. Well, I guess two kids survived Four. Sorry, for it was a yeah. That's yeah. not enough for a class, but no, that's that's really when it hits home, right? Um, another interesting fact that um, was mentioned in the documentary it was by like a sociologist who said that as part of this aftermath, the birth rate in mm. Ortuella practically doubled in the oh, year really? 1981. How so the year after, interesting. So it went from 154 births to 324 births. Wow. And then the year after that, it went back to 160. Wow. So it went back to kind of like the, what it was normally. How interesting. Yeah. I would never have guessed that direction. I would have maybe right? guessed like, the opposite, you know? Yeah. Out of trauma. But, hey, human resilience is incredible. Yeah. So that was the trial and everything and, like, kind of the aftermath. 
So um, today there stands a monument as a memorial to all those who lost their lives that terrible day. It's called La Rosa Truncada or the Truncated Rose. Mm -hmm. I had to look up what truncated meant, but mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, Douglas, do you know what that means? I would imagine it's it's usually referring to a plant that hasn't had the option to grow perfectly and has as, as just struggled for water, struggled for everything, and it's just... Yeah, just very subpar. You're pretty close. Mm -hmm. So it means uh, shortened by or as if having a part cut off or cut short. Mm, almost like a bonsai. Just pretty fitting, right? Yeah. To be cut short. Their lives were cut short. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. Inscribed at the base of the monument is the following. De los niños de España a los niños de Ortuella. Por la catástrofe ocurrida en el Colegio Marcelino Ugalde, 23 de octubre, 1980. Okay, so that mm -hmm. means from the children of Spain to the children of Ortuella for the catastrophe that occurred at the school Marcelino Ugalde on the 23rd of October, 1980. And I looked on Google Maps to see if I could find the monument and mm -hmm. I found it. Oh, nice. I went to the street view and everything. Mm -hmm. It can be found like at I, what they said was like two Minero Iribidea. So it's downtown, easy to easy to find. Yeah, it's pretty. I I think it's pretty prominent. And I and every I think every year, what I gathered because I saw a couple of like news footage clips um, was. Well, I saw I saw the one that was like the forty years after the tragedy, mm -hmm. but I it seems like every year they they do like a they they put um, some white roses ceremonies. on the memorial oh, to nice. commemorate the amount like a white rose for every of the vic for each one of the victims. That's very sweet with the name of the monument as a truncated rose and the rose. That's very sweet. Yeah, I like that gesture. In addition to that, in mm -hmm. the town cemetery, you can find another memorial, which is called the Wall of Pain. That's like a direct translation, the El, El Muro de Dolor, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And um, I believe it holds all of the tombs. Mm -hmm. oh, the whole right. wall is all okay. of the tombs of the victims of the wow. tragedy. Mm. So it's like sheer size mm. of it, like captures really the magnitude of the loss that yeah. that town felt. I'm sure. That sounds it's like, like uh, fifty. What fifty three people? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, or fifty two people. Whatever the size, just the number of names is clearly yeah weighty. Yeah. So I'm really sorry for the bummer of a story, but in some ways, I thought it might be easier to retell something like this, as it was more or less like an accident, where other you know, whereas mm -hmm. other crimes are like. Mm -hmm. The result of be somebody being an asshole. Yeah. You know? And therefore, there's somewhere to place your outrage, you know? Like a specific person to put your outrage True. and grief on, you know? Harder in this case. Yeah. But yeah. in this case, it's just one of those things that happen every once in a while. Mm -hmm. that, you know? That while they are really tragic and horrible, they tend to improve safety measures. Yeah. They improve those safety measures that are necessary to keep people safe. Just a little add-on to this episode. Yeah. We have a friend here who has a connection to this story in some way. 
So let's introduce our friend Ramon. Hi, Ramon. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. <laughs> we love having guests. Yeah. Well, you're our first. <laughs> so um, we talked about the story of Ortuella and the school and everything that happened there. So what was the connection that you had? So the architect of the school was a family friend, long, lifelong family friend of my father's, especially. He was a very kind man, mm-hmm. um, very good with kids. Mm. Mm. Um, and he used to uh, gift my father uh, small books every year with poems he would write. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. We would all read them, well, both my parents and myself. Mm. Very simple, very, yeah, very beautiful stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and lifelong friends, a lot of affection between them. Um, and when this happened, and it just it blew on the press, yeah. Um, of course, he was distraught. Yeah. Uh, and then pressure started to happen. What I mean by this, uh, back in the day, this was 83, if I recall correctly. I think. 1983. Yeah. 1983, right? So uh, back then, so they were very active and very um, influential and powerful at the time. Mm-hmm. So ETA was at a po- an operational point where it felt strong and it felt safe because they could retreat beyond the French border and they would be safe there. The, the French authorities wouldn't intervene, so it was a safe haven for them. Mm. So they started thinking of what comes after the revolution or whatever you want to call it happens and it succeeds. And this was to begin to double in um, justice in a way, Mm -hmm. deciding on matters other than uh, the liberation fight or whatever it is is that you want to call it. Freedom fighting, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly, freedom fighting. So they started uh, making hits against um, drug dealers Mm. uh, and uh, pressuring against the construction or the uh, the construction of the nuclear power station in Lemoyth. Yeah, Mm. yeah. And among other things, when issues of this sort came to the public light, they felt that they had, they need, they needed to make their presence felt mm. and take action. Right. And the inevitable action, because they hardly knew anything else, mm. was potentially killing, mm-hmm. or at least scaring the hell out of of, of this man. Mm. Uh, so, at the time, my father had. So he wasn't politically active. He's never been. But he had connections, and he knew this world mm-hmm. uh, fairly well and quite intimately, and especially not so much the people who were handling the guns. Uh, he never knew any of them. Mm-hmm. But he did know the original founders of what for 10 years had been ETA before it started killing, which was kind of a cultural association, mm-hmm. um, uh, defense of uh, Basque culture and language and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. And he knew them all, or he knew most of them. Right. And they were reasonably close. Mm. So eventually my father told me in rather ambiguous terms, no names, no nothing, mm. that he had reached out to vouch for this man in the hopes that nothing would happen to yeah. him. And after some noises, eventually nothing 
actually happened to good. him. Good. Wow. But nice. It was it was there. It was a conversation so, that needed tense to moment. Place. So there was a there was a fear that they were going to attack the architect. Yeah, potentially kill him or kidnapping mm. him or um, just threaten him. But because of the explosion? Or yeah, because, because uh, it was initially believed that it was an error in design or some yeah. corruption have happened in the construction of the place that could be blamed on the architect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When, in fact, much to the contrary, the architect opposed or wasn't never happy with the solution for the boiler. Mm. Yeah. And repeatedly sent messages that the configuration of the boiler and the, the building, building made itself, it necessary yeah. to have extra maintenance done very often mm. yeah. at quite a high expense. Mm. And of course, uh, mm. this didn't happen. Didn't happen, yeah. But it would take some time for this to come to the light. So mm. in the meantime, the man was blamed and right. made a bit of a... Scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah, an actual villain of some right. sort, like you know, the architect that's on the take, and mm. you know, and for his own profit has you know caused wow. this problem. Pretty yeah. bad. Mm. Yeah. So there was a threat against his life with Etta. Yeah. So and your father vouched for him. Exactly. To yeah. Say that, that yeah. no, don't. He didn't have anything to do with this. Exactly. And... So it is not even a given a that it's going to happen, or b that your intervention is going to change anything. Yeah because it was often believed that the political apparatus of the of ETA had control over the armed bit of the organization mm. and that often was not the case yeah so it could have been very well that you convinced a lot of them and then and nothing then, can be made to happen maybe or another faction given faction, already yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. faction somebody decides otherwise yeah mm. very interesting any any kind of yeah. oh wow Wow. Non-official system, right? It's all very hush-hush and yeah, he'll different probably, structures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'll probably need... I personally would live the rest of my life wondering if somebody had been parked next to my house just watching me, mm -hmm. following my movements, even, in case they need to hit, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that was probably the case. Mm. Huh. Wow. It's wow. intense. Well, thank you for that, Ramon. Yeah. Did you? So, what age were you, sort of, when this, when the eighty-three? Uh, you were one. I know. Four, sorry, four. I was four, four years old. So the poems and everything that was afterwards, right? Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. All through mm -hmm. my childhood and mm -hmm. teenage years. Yeah. So yeah, they became. I guess. I mean, did the More tight, probably. Yeah. Did the architect this. know about this? Do you think? Or do I, you think? I would think so. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's nice. That's really nice. Yeah. It probably would have been cryptically. Told yeah, right. In passing, like no importance. Yeah. Yeah. But then the message would have been understood, and that's that's yeah, you know crazy. how it is over here. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Like even when um, I came over to live, we still, which was about eighteen years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, politics was still. I was talking about politics, but people were very shy. Uh, still, it's. it's it yeah. was very, very often a matter of deciding whether you wanted to discuss politics or keep the friendship mm. or yeah. or your relatives or whatever it was. Right. Mm -hmm. So most people obviously chose to not talk about it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that was a yeah, great, great story. Yeah. I, I hope it adds to the context of what was happening For at the sure time. For sure it does, yeah. Mm. And yeah, like the way society was dealing with it in yeah, so many ways. They levels. were always there hanging like a shadow, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure.
So we love you. Thank you for listening. And um, take care. Yeah, you can follow us on our social media. Send you and can send us an email. Any through, mini crime uh, times. The crimes of the Basklands mm-hmm. at gmail.com. If mm-hmm. you want to send us any story ideas, any tenuous links to the Basque country. Yep. Or Basque heritage. Um, and yeah, follow us on Instagram. And if you want, you know, give us a good review. Please like, subscribe. Yeah. Lots of love for everybody. Lots of love. Agur. Crimes of the Basque Lands is written and produced by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. The sound and editing for each episode by Douglas D. Carvalho, and Megan Dooley. Theme song written by Douglas D. Carvalho, Julie Garcia, and Megan Dooley. Sung by the choir with no name and produced by Tom Squires. Podcast art by Distinct Signal. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Crimes of the Basklands and contact us at crimesofthebasklands at gmail.com with story ideas worldwide which have a connection to the Basque country or any rave reviews. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, agur! agur.